Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shoot as your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. Today is a weird one because we are in the wake of the assassination of a former leader of a major world power, Japan, Shinzo Abe, was confirmed dead after the assassination attempt. And it seems to be, given the context of the pandemic and the wars, or at least the war in Ukraine, the looming famine, it seems to be indications of the end times, if you could read it that way. I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. Uh, Is this the end times and what has happened to the prophet? (laughs) The end times. (laughs) When when I was when I was in my teens, I was very much uh, in a friendship with um, with young people and the groupings that I was sort of in friendship with um, had a, a kind of a a, a a fixation about the end time, um, uh, propagating that you know you better get ready because the end time is now. So it's interesting those two words put together, get ready, because the end time is now. Now, when one goes to uh, some of the understandings of, let's say, the gospel writer, Paul, uh, Mark, and those, there was urgency in their message uh, because the, the... the parousia, the second coming of our Lord, uh, as, he, as they understood him saying, um, was both a present reality and a future reality. Mm. Um, and so, mm-hmm. given that reality, therefore, what are we meant to do with our lives? So, in a way, we're looking forward in order to look back. So that what 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 we what we what we glean from Jesus's teachings. And and so we're saying that if we look to to where he's pointing, and we look back, if we are able to do that, then how does that message influence the way we ought to be living right now? What kind of world ought we to be um, developing? The community, the kind of humanity. Um, you know, because every every I'm assuming that every um, academic principle out there, every field of academia, uh, every field of religion, uh, every field of knowledge was trying to offer and continues to do that to offer people um, a, a kind of a way of living better through the messages that they are propagating. And so the end time brings urgency mm. into the current mm. time and how we live. But then the end time also has a dynamic of judgment. And so the end time was the end time is was being preached in, and it as the um, brimstone and hellfire preaching. Because it, it, it went to the, to the extent where you said, if you don't get ready now, whatever that meant, a 
and you die right now, you're going to burn in hell. You know, that kind of scary tactic was put there. Mm. Now, if we, if we assume, and I know that there are still um, uh, people, particularly voices from America, and the and the, the 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 voice from America is very strong across the world when it comes to the end time doctrine. Um, you could you could in the evangelical world you you would encounter words like that I never encountered when I was at seminary. Words like pre-millennial, uh, post-millennial, amillennial, and that's all to do with uh, how they understand Revelation of John. Um, the apocalyptic writings, and so many of these people would be fixated about um, Israel, for example, because Israel, in their mind, plays a very important part in the second coming. Yeah. In fact, they made it so. So I don't know if you know about this, but it was reported I read some at the time when we were going on from 1999 to 2000. There was a fixation. That the world was going to end in 2000. Yes. And, um, and there were a group of, of fanatical uh, Christians, um, some, uh, you know, fanatic and Christians are not supposed to be uh, together, but um, those that have fanatical underst uh, understandings of what it means to be a Christian and the message of Christianity went to Israel to provoke a war. The Armageddon War, you know, that Armageddon theme, um, so that if if there was now that real, although I mean there were wars, but if this was like to to push Armageddon, had as it were to push God's hand in bringing about the end of the world as we currently know it, and whatever the the second coming of Jesus, however it is it is uh, symbolized in Scripture. I've always reflected on that and wondered, what is the gospel then if, if it's to do, if, is the gospel to do with an end time preaching? Or is it to bring people to the knowledge that God so loves the world uh, that God made and that God therefore seeks to bring us into a relationship with God that will make our world a healthier place to be in? Um, and I began, probably began to, to, to realize that, and you know, there was a film many years ago um, that, was, that was doing its rounds in, in, in some of the churches. I got to watch it, um, but, but Lindsay, I can promise you, in my naive uh, teenage years when I watched it, yeah. uh, I got to know when I, when I yeah. it was scary, it was a scary movie. It was supposedly based on scripture. And uh, the, the bottom line was, and I only got to know this a couple of years after that, I was testing my vocation at Mannenberg, and the priest there also saw this movie because they brought it to, to show to the church there. And they were a very charismatic church. So mm -hmm. um, then, and then he said to me, because we had this conversation about the, this film, The Burning Allen, and, and Bob said to me, and I appreciate Father Bob. He said, um, Rodney, the, the person who made that movie said these words. If they don't want to respond to the gospel of love, then I am going to scare them 
into the kingdom by creating a message uh, which was then burning out. And Bob then went on to say, but that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's about the gospel of love that we didn't discover in Jesus. And so that was the conflict that I had to work myself through and not become, I mean, I, I also, when I, when, I, when I think of death, um, I, I challenge myself about this and also when I preach about it. You see, the reality that death will come to each of us. Death will come one day to me, says the, says the hymn writer. So then there's an urgency in how I live, how I choose to live my life, hmm. knowing that at some point there will be. Maybe this thing about the bucket list and all of that, uh, things that I've got to do, but but there's more urgent things than some some of the bucket lists suggest. Yeah. So I would I would say for for me, um, it's like the it's like the final exams you're writing. You know, in order to you know it's projected in the future. How do you prepare for it then? Is the question. Hmm. Um, Very interesting, especially it's got both. Especially within the context of, of the liturgy that we are presented with um, on this fifth Sunday after Pentecost, uh, where it's a lot of Amos, um, one of the famous prophets, uh, predicted the, <laughs> prophesied, sorry, <laughs> the fall of, of Israel um, at, at that stage. Uh, that was the fall to the Romans, I imagine, because it was well after the Egyptians. Um, and then we have this this weird situation with with the epistle to the Colossians, um, where scholars have kind of fallen on the agreement that maybe Paul trans or at least it was transcribed from Paul by one of his followers, most likely Timothy. And then you look at Timothy and you look at the problematic parts of like Timothy doctrine <laughs> that has been included into into the Bible. I, I just want to get your thoughts on the at least not the accuracy, because um, that that's going to open us into a, a deeper conversation. Uh, but just on, on the surface, how we should interpret these works that have been included in the Bible? What what you have been Taught, or at least what you have come to understand through your studying, uh, why books like from Timothy were included into the Bible, and where we should draw the line between what could be considered popular media at the time, much like the movie that you were speaking about, that was then incorporate, incorporated into the Bible as like almost gospel word, you know? Yeah, the authentic canon of scripture, yeah. uh, the debate through the centuries. Um, how did they uh, get to all of this? There is, of course, as you well know, in your field of study, um, uh, the redaction mm. and editorial processes and authentic and who determines um, that there is secondary material available as well but not as authentic uh, in the first place to encourage us to come to um, hear what, what 
God has been saying through the journey of, of this world, through the history of this world, and particularly with the covenanted people, and then particularly through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible will always be a book of controversy, <laughs> and its authenticity will always be up for challenge because those who use it uh, as an authentic um, uh, resource for their rhetoric or for their um, for the rhetoric that obviously will draw people or not draw people um, have often abused the way these books ought to be um, read and therefore proclaimed what message is proclaimed. Now, one of the things I want to say from what I've learned is this. The Bible is not first and foremost, in my view, a historical book, but that history is used as a vehicle to carry the message. And um, that is not my own words. That is something that I learned from um, a biblical scholar. Um, secondly, in my recent studies of scripture, through the uh, St. Augustine's um, um, Roman Catholic um, College, which was a fascinating study of scripture, I've got to learn that whilst names were given uh, to those who, who, who proposed to, who supposed to have written all of these things down, that their names were not necessarily a reference to their authorship mm -hmm. or that they authored everything. Um, yeah. uh, like, like parts of Genesis, when you study parts of Genesis, you've got to be aware that you have the JEPD traditions that influenced that's that study because uh, these were groups of scholars, um, Yahweh's J E L U S. So how they perceived God and by what name should God be could God be called by? Then you have the priestly tradition, and that of course has to do with all the sacramental and pastoral stuff. And then you had the the the, the Deuteronomistic group that they dealt with um, the law and, and how, because I mean, the law was, as you well know, the first six books of, yeah. the, of the Watson and had that kind of a, a So then, um, so then we, we, we've got to say now, if this happened, that why, why is it called, it's called the five books of Moses. Now, did Moses have a hand in authoring all of these things? Now, does authoring necessarily mean you're putting pen to paper or you're dictating or your words that you spoke were captured in some form so that um, you authored you authored with your tongue and your mind and not just with a pen uh, as well somebody else took that job on but moses was a prominent player in that first six books of scripture and therefore throughout the scripture he would also be a reference point to an encounter with god um, and what do we learn about the encounter that he, he, obviously he must have shared his story for us to learn some of the things that, that happened in his life. So then, so the authorship 
of, of what's then is always a question that is asked who authored this what purposes and why and to whom was it written and in what time period is it written? i mean these are all the 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 kind of stuff journalists would want to have to you know when they're dealing with a particular subject of research yeah so whenever it comes to authorship there's more there's not necessarily a certainty about it and so how then do we look at it is it still authentic if we don't know the author? And then people sort of go back and say, well, ultimately God is the author. Well, we know that from scripture, we know that through the history of scripture uh, being handed down, the, the inspiration becomes a very key key thing in how um, these things were written. But remember, you had these things written on scrolls. They were found, there were damages being done erosion because of the climate and so forth so you can understand how how huge role redaction played in all of this um sometimes you look at the bottom of a, of a, of a bible when they have the footnotes and you would see yeah. that some of the texts were unclear this probably yeah. the old testament and new Testament. and then this other part that i learned to which i appreciated too especially when it comes to around Paul's writings to the and, and the letters that were written to the various congregations. Now, obviously, it was written to congregations. So, whatever was written affected um, a, a, at least a community of people. Yeah. Originally, the first audience. Um, so, more yeah. more than one person would have heard what was read. How they preserved that writing, of course, ensures that we get it today like it is. Now, did it come via Paul's pen? Although you would see Paul play right at the beginning of Colossians, you would see him saying that if this comes from Paul, but is and from his brother Timothy. So there you have two people who sat. Did Paul author Colossians purely by himself? Did Timothy write as a scribe on behalf of Paul? Because Paul was obviously his teacher and then when paul wrote to the church of the colossia did was there a wider community who after the letter was read and they found uh, you know um, great help with it to hand it over to the next generation of people they it's it's redaction was done in such a way that um, it captured the essence of the message to that local church and um, and and that Paul's thought line could be discovered in that. So if he was not the author originally that wrote, certainly his teachings are in the in the letter. And um, and so this is what I learned that each of the the books, each of the documents of Scripture, belong to a community rather than just one person. Um, but that person played a prominent role in order to get the community to where, uh, where their life is reflected. What they were taught was re is reflected in that document. Now, the preservation of these documents was important. So when they were collected, when they were put together, you had another team of people needing to now know how do we authenticate that this would be part of the, the, the original canon of scripture rather than um, 
should they be put into a due to economical um, kind of uh, um, category? So, so I'm fascinated sometimes, although it's a long read, pardon me, the preface of the Bible. We, we, we go into the text and also, but when you, when you have a translation in front of you, you've got prefaces there that tells you um, for this version of the Bible, these, these people came together. These were the scholars and these are the, are the fields of education. And um, and and they they what text did they use in order to bring about a version of the scripture? But do they go? Pardon me. Do they go back to the Vulgate? Do they go back to the Hebrew language? Do they go back to the Aramaic languages? Do they go back to understand what the classical languages at the time? Mm. In order for them to then say, pardon me, this is a proper interpretation or the or the most a helpful interpretation of what was originally written down. And now we have received this contribution, controversial book to which we can't, we add, this is the, the, the beauty of scripture um, and study there. Um, we, 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 when, when the story that we engage of old in current time, then that story as we understand it and discern its its message using it to build up community in a different context but with with wisdom from of old then we are continuing to write the message mm. uh, that scripture produces for us but mm. never write it in such a way that we discard it as the the authentic part of our reflection of our worship, of our study, and of the guidance we must get in this life. So at the end of the day, I would like to say, for me, the most helpful way of looking at it, not to run away from the conflict, did Paul write Colossians or not? Um, the main thing is, writing does not mean he put in pen himself, but his thoughts are there, his teachings are there, uh, and he was the main player at the time. Okay. But... Yeah, it, it calls to mind my own experience within within my profession, uh, where I'm I'm a freelance journalist now, so I work with a bunch of editors. I need to shape my writing style, um, my depth of research, my output to the audiences that those publications um, cater to, um, and the the ultimately the ideological kind of north stars of those varying editors um, because those publications would be shaped according to, to like those those kinds of thoughts. So especially when it's dealing with like it was really big stories, really important stories in terms of like the canon of a particular publication, then it's a back and forth. Um, I'll go out and do my research and do whatever interviews I need to do. And then it's reporting back to the editor and then kind of gauging where they feel the story should be going. So it's all in the editing process, even before you like start writing and then you produce it. And then there's the back and forth of like crossing T's and dotting I's and all those things. And then there's the other side where I do a lot of um, communications work. So corporate writing. So like thought leadership pieces, you open up a newspaper or whatever, click on a website, and there's a thought leadership piece from a business person 
And I promise you, those people are way too busy and important to be penning thought leadership pieces, even if it's like within their wheelhouse. So they appoint agencies uh, that hire people like me, and I sit down with this person, get their thoughts on a specific topic that they want to cover, and I do additional research, put together the, the thing, and then present it to them, and then it's a little bit of a back and forth. Most of the time, it's only about two or three rounds. Um, uh, because I'm quite good at what I do, <laughs> so I can get the, the the gist of it. And then it goes out into the public, and then that person's name goes on the top. So the same approach, I believe, should be taken to especially texts like like uh, Colossians, the Epistle to the Colossians, uh, because a a character like Timothy, and I, I think this is something that I've also been building up to um, in my commentary on Paul's epistles, is that a character like Timothy skewed a little bit more conservative in his interpretation of, if you just look at the body of work that is attributed to Timothy, um, with all those problematic things like the woman must submit to her husband and all those things is contained within Timothy. So you take the, the mindset of that kind of individual and then you have to pour whatever Paul's original thoughts and teachings were through that filter. And then you kind of see where the inconsistencies can start cropping up um, with, within these things. But I, I, I need to ask a question, though. Um, I, I haven't ever explored this, but is there a text, a book, a collective, a encyclopedia of quotes that are cross-referenced across all the, the Gospels that are attributed to Jesus? Is there a body of work where you can only read what Jesus said? Now, but by virtue of those, of that very, that two words you just mentioned at the end, Jesus said, yeah, uh, is also words attributed to prophetic ministry, Thus saith the Lord. So when God speaks, um, when Jesus spoke, was somebody recording. Now the recording, as you well know, in the ear or in the ears of the ear. Remember, mm -hmm. Jesus also had said, "Those who hear my voice, those who hear my voice, those who, those who." tap into what I'm saying and receive that message or as it were on their way to eternal life. So so did Jesus ask them to 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 author what he had said? Mm. Or was this written after the resurrection? Um, when people when people thought this testimony must not get lost. We have to put it down so that future generations can have a sense of who Jesus is and why is he important for the world. And so we, that, of course, now comes to the gospel, the gospel author. Hmm. But when you now study the gospel, um, and, and in our liturgical cycle, uh, as you well know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are used. 
And we have learned through various studies that the, they make up the synoptic gospels. Mm. Now, mm. what happened? What happens is that when people recall an event around their encounter with Jesus, or when persons were hearing testimony from others of what they experienced of Jesus, uh, it was put into story form, like the one we have in the gospel today. Um, the author says a lawyer comes to Jesus. Yeah. The intention of people of the Lord then was to trap you, to trap you in your own words. So how did Jesus encounter a lawyer who's uh, around the suspicion of him trapping? So here was somebody, and the law was not. The, the criminal law, it wasn't that type of law then, it was, it was the law of the Torah, it was the law of the, of the Hebrew Bible, uh, yeah. it is the, si, 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 uh, the Sinai law uh, that, would, that, that it would be. So if Jesus was truly this teacher, then the teacher would know exactly what, what the resource was that was used uh, at the time. And as a teacher, he would make reference there. And often we hear in the Gospels, Jesus making reference to Old Testament text and saying, but that pointed forward to me. Um, but of course, they could not accept that. So now the question is, um, how, how much of what is contained in the Gospels? Because they are the ones that offer you a biography of Jesus. Hmm. Now, when they recorded, when they finally put it down in pen, would they have exactly have known every word that came out of his mouth? Or is it what they remember as the message? And then, you know, so, so, so he spoke about eternal life. What did he speak about eternal life? And now the stories around that theme developed. And so if he speaks about eternal life, who is he then? So that's the question those biographies are, are trying to capture. So there has been strict, I know, um, Catholic scholars um, who looked at the, the what system and they said something like, only a third of what is re reputed to be Jesus's actual words are recorded in the gospel. Hmm. Um, but but now you you and I know out of this conversation, um, I go and I say to somebody, you know, Lindsay and I spoke about so and so and so, and then uh, I, I recall that uh, you know Lindsay's thesis was this about that matter. That person may say, but was that Lindsay's actual words? Now, why are the actual words so important? Yeah. Um, does my paraphrase of your thought not make up the story as well? Or is it only that I must have word for word what you said in order for them to know that, that they can authenticate what, what is being said about it's the mm. subject matter? So, um, so you know, can we, can we really know? Again, here it comes back to a kind of thing that even though you and I would say our 
uh, careers are are, are are different access accesses if that's the right english word what what we do what we what i've discovered in this in in this encounter with this exploration of faith is that um i i'm dealing with a message to get out there as you would as a journalist your your desire is that on a particular subject people must know but what can i let them know in my research therefore i have to find a way in which they can then say the message lindsay is bringing out about um the new galaxy 20 mm. um iphone uh, i can now truly judge by that what he is saying that i will can go and purchase it and knowing that full well his words are both authentic in terms of his research mm. So, 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 um, can we therefore then take the testimony of somebody and say through that testimony, I hear a message for me? And would that be what John, what John, Mark, and, and Luke and Matthew were doing? Is that what Paul was doing? Their encounter, their encounter, they are telling their story, they are giving their testimony about jesus and so there would be uh, ways in which we could say that they could have actually captured a sentence or two or maybe a paragraph i i don't know but the, do i take their, their their testimony seriously mm. and i think that's where the, the the rub comes up with those who say well then based on that i'm discarding it because i want the actual words of god Mm. You know what I mean, um, but but um, I, I I think that you know when we look at the Ten Commandments, for example, you look at that story. How did those words appear on a tablet? Yeah, was was God speaking with like with lightning that lasered these words onto that stone or? Did Moses hear and then record? And if you if you thinking of how a chisel and a hammer <laughs> had to be used to, you know, how long would it take you to say um, even the first line of the first um, what's the name would be quite uh, you know it didn't happen in a day. You and I could write a paragraph in a day, but can you imagine what they had to do? Yeah. So so it's. Hearing God speaks to our hearts. Hearing. I mean, I don't know whether you write only what you read about from others, or what you what, or do you also write about a conversation that had happened about something, and now you do further research on that conversation. Like, you know what you brought up, for example. I didn't know, dear. Eddie died. Um, I thought Eddie. Uh, was in hospital getting his um you know trying to trying to fix him up but here you know it's now an assassination and it's not no longer an assassination attempt as was originally given to us it's now an yeah. actual assassination yeah. of one of the one of the leading um one of the leading historical figures for japan uh, in recent times and of course now my mind has had to shift from attempted assassination to an actual assassination so the message as transmitted has changed along the way 
um, mm. there is the development in the story. How then do you, after the resurrection, capture from where you say the story happened with Jesus in person to the Jesus now resurrected and the timeline between the two? When did they start writing and seeing that his resurrection and maybe, yeah, even, even the day of Pentecost that when the Holy Spirit came, only then were they inspired. So does that sort of say, well, Jesus said then, I will send you the Spirit who is an advocate, the Spirit of truth, who will tell you everything that I have told you. Is that how we then ought to then read back from Pentecost or after Pentecost when they actually wrote? Uh, to the person of Jesus at the time that they experienced it. Mm. I like I like this idea of whether Jesus instructed them to note down everything he was saying and teaching, or whether it kind of happened organically. And th- I like it because it introduces a little bit of intrigue, where it's like, did they co-opt? A message for a specific reason and then my mind starts questioning like what the reasoning is but that's just because it's the way that i i am wired um which is is probably what brought me to the point of, of agnosticism where i'm going to require evidence on on all of that thing but it, it it's interesting obviously we, we we're dealing with with the gospel according to luke chapter 10 Verses 25 to 37, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Christians are very well acquainted with it. Uh, that's why I, I didn't really delve into, into the depth of it, because it's pretty straightforward. There's a little bit of, you did uncover a little bit of, of, of extra layering, where it was a lawyer that had asked the question, and, um, and the question was, uh, how teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. And then obviously it goes to the, the parable where there's a dude walking and he gets assaulted and three people uh, encounter him and obviously the good Samaritan then take him to the inn, pays for his lodging, banges him up and it's like, and then the question is who was uh, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers and he said the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him go and do likewise. So there it's a perfectly encapsulated parable that, that shows that central thesis of unconditional universal love for other people on the basis of their humanity. And humanity means the fact that you are human. It doesn't mean anything else. It doesn't mean any any other projection of humanity that you have that, that you consider to be entitlement to humanity. It doesn't, it's not about how much money you make. It's the fact that you were born of a human, you are a human that makes you that gives you humanity. It cannot be stripped from you. So given all of that, like this conversation is 
deeply important, I think. And 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 there'll be a few people who would bring some criticism because it will be like me kind of poking holes at at the authenticity of the Bible. But I think it's more a reflection on like today uh, on the Saturday, I forget the date, actually the 9th of July, it is also Eid al-Adha, which is the celebration of the sacrifice um, of Ibrahim, Abraham when he didn't want to, or at least he was willing to sacrifice his son. So that is a shared story between Christianity and Islam. Um, and there are actually Christians out there running around trying to convert Muslims to Christianity, and they pride themselves on this ability instead of just like living by the words of Jesus and like just being lecker, you know, just being good to other humans. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on on this idea of of a shared history? I'm putting it in air quotes. Uh, that that then is indisputable in terms of our shared path on this planet with all other people. That two really two religions that are in constant conflict, ideological conflict. I hate using the word ideology, um, but we here we are. Uh, what are your thoughts on the kind of teachings we can reflect on from days like this? You know, one of the one of the um, the 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 phrases I've sort of been moved by was a description of of a coexistence in the in the Middle Eastern and particularly in Jerusalem and in Israel. Uh, the Abrahamic faiths um, and the author, one of the authors that I read about this talks about how um, people are not embracing each other even though they are related by the, by the Abrahamic um, uh, um, faith line, if one could put it like that. Um, what then are we fighting about if we all connected to the same to the same person whose expressions of faith in the living God um, would have uh, would have helped us to 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 live at peace with each other because we share something. Mm. So, I mean, I, I was hoping that if we shared something, mm. that we would then be able to live at peace with one another. Uh, so one is not getting more. So why why is there this thing in our in in our, our humanity um, that wants us always to compete with one another, that wants us to be better than one another, assumes that what I believe in my individual mind is more authentic than yours in your mind. That is why I, I again come back to this particular. A theme of 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 this podcast, exploring faith in a time of of crisis. Um, even as a person who says they're agnostic, you you still exploring something that you were raised up with, but have questions about that made you take a particular understanding of how your faith would be. 
um, and high, high in a different way. So, so whilst we may have a different um, understandings of what we read, uh, the authenticity of a common book like the text, because we're using the text of scripture, the liturgy for the Sunday to come, and we, 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 we're looking at it from obviously different perspectives. But what this conversation does, it, it, it says we're not here to agree with each other because we are to explore with each other. How does all of this, how is all of this relevant to our daily lives? And what difference does this message make? So my question would be, why is it that nobody in the Middle Eastern setup in the Abrahamic faiths sits down and say, hold it, brothers, man, what are we really fighting about? And yet we claim to have one father. Why is there such sibling rivalry? I mean, then you look at, 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 at um, the various Christian tradition. Um, just, just Thursday, for example, um, we, we were informed at chapter about breakaways that happened in, in the Anglican Church of recent times. I, I wouldn't have known this until I heard this story, for example. Uh, in a diocese, they had an election. The guy that did not come in broke away and took with him, of course, all his supporters. So what was that breakaway based on? Was it based on the understanding of scripture? Was it based on the understanding of liturgy, of the sacrament, of pastoral ministry? Was it based on any of that except to say, I lost, I want the power base, and this was all about self. And sadly, you have people that follow that kind of rhetoric. Then, then we discovered that it's now affected in our own diocese. Um, and what did these people do? They then, this one guy puts out a video. I haven't seen the video, but the video then would encourage people to leave Exa Diocese of False Bay to go after this new particular movement. Now, that movement apparently still embraces the Anglican tradition, still embraces scripture, but now it's in, in at enmity with Exa based on mm. what? And so, what is the world's war about, the religious wars about? Um, and why does Christianity assume, why does Christians, some Christians assume that Muslims are not God's children? Um, why would we, um, if a Muslim chooses to become a Christian, because I, in a conversation we had, he feels this is the way, then, that's something that's up to him, but as you said earlier on, which I thought was a, the authentic message in today's podcast, why don't Christians just live by what they believe Jesus had said to them and, 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 and be cool about it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's that living testament that will matter in the end, um, instead of going to find ways in which to judge the other person and cause conflict. Um, so yes, I believe this is what Jesus says. You choose not to believe it. That's okay. Um, uh, because 
I will, I will not stop seeking to live it, but I will not, I'm not also going to force it down uh, the, the, other, the other's throat. We need to look at if, if the gospel narrative of Jesus' walk from the cradle to the grave. How was his encounters with people? And this is a story in, a Bible, in the Bible, in a culture where Samaritans should not be featured because they were secondary citizens, mm. according to the Jews. Isn't it, isn't it interesting if this story is captured in a way that helps us to see what's in Jesus' thought pattern? A lawyer, assumedly a person who knew the Torah, comes and says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus points him to the law. But now Jesus takes a radical step when he wants to now know who his neighbor is. So was he actually pushing a political line? Was he pushing Jesus to make a political statement? Was he pushing for Jesus to say something that the lawyer could have trapped him in and said, now we've got him. Now we know what he's all about. And then Jesus dares to take the stand and say, well, let's, let's take something that has practical relevance. There's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous road. Now, Jericho, Jerusalem is there. Jericho is there. So what is in between? And who eventually assists a man who is wounded? And Jesus says, <laughs> a Samaritan, who is described by us as a good Samaritan. I just want to check the text. Nowhere in this text does it say that Jesus says good Samaritan. He just says a Samaritan. We have said the stories about a good Samaritan. But the text doesn't refer to him being good. Um, uh, what he enacted out was neighborly love at the risk of his own life. And is it possible that Samaritans, whom you see as difficult uh, second-class citizens not worthy to look at, can step up to the plate when you have the possibility that the way that he act in the way that priests act, all these religious pomp and splendor that they honor about in the temple, but on the road where life happens, their religion cannot account for anything. This is a radical approach to a lawyer possibly trying to take Jesus out. Who is my neighbor? When eventually, you know, if the law is saying your neighbor did the laws restrict your neighbor only to those that live around you, to those who think the same like you, or is your neighbor the one who shares the earth with you, who may have different cultural norms, different uh, religious norms, different ideological norms. Why, why is Jesus saying this? Because God so loved the world. He came to break down barriers just with his teaching. I'm excited about this. And you know, many years ago, when I was doing some academic work, when I was in the Macoland, the, the person who had to watch over me when I was writing my exams, uh, because I was the only candidate in that area, uh, I was doing some UNISA work at the time. It was a Dumini. 
And we got speaking about various things. And of course, those were still in the years of apartheid, 85, 86 then. And he said to me, do you know how um, fundamentalistic Afrikaners, conservative Afrikaners now, uh, interpret the Good Samaritan story? Well, I was fascinated because I could never. Now, the reason they say he's a good Samaritan is because he went to another Samaritan to help him. That makes him good. So they identified the fallen man as a Samaritan. Where in the text that stands, I don't know. That is incredible. But, but do you how the text and the story seems almost to lend itself to people reading into the story what the story yeah. doesn't tell us? You know, and so what, what happens is that now we, we invent another story that is not related to this story. Mm. So therefore, uh, I, was, I was thinking about this the whole time. Um, they, 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 there's a word called, a phrase called the theology of suspicion. Mm. Now, the theology of suspicion in my mind is this. When I read this text, I'm not just going to be gullible to read it. I'm going to investigate its worth and value for my life. Yeah. And I'm going to look at, is there any historicity to this? Is history important to what happened in this story? Did it actually happen? Or is there such value in the story told that impresses me? Because going back to what you said earlier on, the law of love, which Jesus talks about here as uh, the right answer that the guy gave, that you, as you call the universal law of love, um, if we embrace that universal law of love, what does it do? How does it inform? How does it form? And how does it transform my sense of humanity in myself in relation to other people? Because I am not all here by myself. I'm sharing the yeah. earth. Yeah. And sharing what principle do I therefore live by? If sharing means I'm not going to be greedy, I'm not going to lord it over, I'm going to be able to co-govern, co-exist, co-live, whatever the co-word can bring in for us to, 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 to live better, because there's space for all, um, uh, um, because greed leads to waste, accumulation leads to waste. And therefore, the world becomes contaminated and, and eventually both of us die uh, because of, of all of that. So what does this story do? Now, um, is, the, is, is, the, is, the, is this like, um, we know that from what we understand from scholarship, that Jesus, and from reading the scriptures, Jesus used parables as a teaching tool. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a radicalness in his thinking here, a deliberation in him mm. saying, I didn't just come to tell stories for Jewish people. Yeah. I came to embrace the whole world. And, and, and embracing the whole world, um, I'm, I, I'm teaching you to embrace those. And it starts where they are. Because, I mean, this is my, my rant in my mind at the moment with conservative approach to things. 
uh, it then ends up in a fundamentalistic attitude yeah. of such a nature that we can't see objectively the value of the scripture. In fact, with conservative thinking, what I understood, it distorts the message. Yeah, because you too caught it up um, protecting your position. Um, but but I, I I think this this is a good place to leave it, and and for two reasons. One, because there I was saying that this is a very well known story, and there's no more to be explored. And then you just completely exploded and <laughs> obliterated that position of mine. <laughs> two, um, <laughs> I am never going to refer to the Samaritan as good anymore because. Uh, uh, has revealed your 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 words have revealed a personal bias within me that I need to reevaluate. Um, where I I was once very early in my career, I was once told by a, a senior media professional, more in the corporate space than the actual like journalism space. Um, uh, like <laughs> this person is 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 incredibly wealthy and incredibly influential, and. I had an uh, opportunity to have interface with him, and after it was, it was like a half an hour where someone was just kind of sucking out all the ideas and creativity in my head. Like these, all these questions were so pointed at figuring out what my idea of the future of media and how to appeal to like my audience, like me being a representative then of like all colored people. Um, and he closed the conversation by saying, remarking that I was one of the good ones. And I just <laughs> felt so dirty in that mm. moment. I felt like I betrayed my entire people <laughs> you know, by speaking with this person yes. because that concept of good means that you have reduced another entire section of the population to secondary to beneath you and here you are confronted by somebody who has proven to share some ideas of the world with you person mm. is good one of the good ones i'm never referring to the samaritan <laughs> in this again um yeah and there was an important uh, other point that that that, that you mentioned. Uh, yeah, continue. Now I was just going to say that um, uh, um, who did uh, Jesus had that conversation according to the gospel writers? Don't call me good. Oh, the only one that is good is God. Um, ah. you remember there was that bad encounter that he showed. So mm. so again. Uh, what was the end of the story? And I, I often I read a, a, a pericope where where I sort of what was asked at the beginning, what was said at the beginning, and what ended that sort of little story, because then that captures what we have to look on the inside. He starts off asking a question, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah. Now, if you put that question yeah. into your story with this editor, um, and eventually he comes down to trying to make you feel um, an, an accomplished in this conversation with this wealthy man, with this clever man who can determine that in a population group, you're one of the good ones. Mm. 
that's an insult. Yeah. So here Jesus, here he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, he is saying, he's asking a particular question. At that time, we may not have understood that he may actually be trying to catch Jesus up. Mm. So I thought that he, that he was going to do it. But Jesus, in a non-judgmental way, says to him, um, the one. Now, the one could mean anybody. Mm. It's not exclusive to a particular race group or religion. He says, the one who showed mercy. So what is within that person that that person can show mercy? So the, the one, um, it could be anybody mm. um, based on based on that person's um, expression of compassion, that's what the world needs. Go and do likewise. Mm. Yeah, the he other judge and tell uh, him so 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 when you left that meeting with that rhetoric now governing your mind as you struggle with what he was saying. Um uh, what what kind of world was he creating? Yeah, a world of compassion, and mercy, or a world of separation based on his determination of who is good and who's not good. Hmm. Yeah, and that that kind of leads to 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 the closing point I was I was I was going to make. Uh, this this idea of of a shared path. So I have two children. Um, we try and bring them up as neutral as, as uh, raise them as neutral as possible, gender neutral, um, neutral in terms of our interactions and expectations from them. Um, they are both have, I'd say, equal face time with both mother and father. Um, we are both present in their lives. Uh, Monique more to me, though, uh, because she does the school run and uh, has assumed a lot of the, the, the gender roles, the traditional gender roles are, are expected of a wife. Um, I do not expect these things. She just naturally does them because, I mean, we are, are different people and, and women just care about life more than, than men do, I guess, the preservation of life. Um, but their approaches to life are completely different. They are such complete different humans in thought, in action, in, in, in everything, that it, it, it's really fascinating, just in interactions, just to see how polar opposite they can be. Um, but I can still love them equally, is, is, I think, an incredible reflection of what we should be approaching the outside world with. You know, that you must allow people to surprise you. You must not place any expectations on anybody other than that they are going to require food and water and air. And the other needs would be to be recognized as humans and to be valued being you. Yeah. So in other words, in other words, Jesus is saying to this Jewish guy, 
the Samaritan is as human as you are. Yep. I told you, I, I, I jive with this kind of messaging from Jesus. I don't jive with the interpretations um, <laughs> within the other things. <laughs> That's why I was asking about the, the, the doctrine of like just Jesus's teachings. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. All the uh, choice verses from the readings. I know we didn't explore the other two readings as much. Um, we just explored kind of the themes that exist within it. But all of that is in the podcast description. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, uh, Father Rodney, for a lovely conversation. Thanks, Lindsay. Enjoy your day. Thank you for joining us. God bless you all. <laughs>